sorry. Um, Romans chapter 5, where we have heard from Tony and Paul. And, and last week, we heard Tony bring in this idea that the gift of grace gives us much more. That the superabounding grace of God gives us much more than we could have ever dared hope. And this week, I want to take that truth and run with it. This morning, we, we finish our series in Romans 5 by diving into these last two verses of this chapter where we'll find out why the law was given and how it prepared humanity for the grace that came to mankind through Jesus. So let's dive right in. 12 years ago, I was 19 years old, and I had been drinking, partying with some friends all night. And in the early hours of the morning, I was extremely intoxicated, and I, I tried to drive back home. And all I remember is waking up in a ditch, my, my left arm and my face full of blood. And I remember two police officers approaching me and talking to me in a very disrespectful way. But at that, at that moment, I had lost all dignity and, and felt I deserved every word that they spoke over me. But then another police officer arrives, tells those two other officers to leave, and he takes over from there. And then this police officer begins to walk me through the crime that I had just committed and begins to lay out before me what the, what the law of the state of Texas required from me and how the next few years would look for me and how many years I could potentially spend in state prison. And in that moment, the, the weight of the law of the state of Texas and the crime that I had just committed became incredibly real. And this is what's going to happen this morning in our text. That as the law is presented before us, our crime is going to become incredibly real. And my hope is that this morning, the Spirit, by His Word, sears into our hearts the truth that because grace is greater than our sin, we no longer have to live in sin or by sin today. So let's go to our first point, law amplified sin. It says that the law came in to increase the trespass. The law came in to increase the trespass. And in verse 19, Paul had divided mankind and placed them into two categories. Right? In the category of Adam, those who are in Adam, and in the category of Christ, those who are in Christ. And this sounded maybe like a very simple and straightforward kind of division, especially to the Jewish believer who may have risen up and said, but what about Moses? What about the law that God gave to Moses? And so Paul, being a great apologetic thinker, anticipates the objection by the Jewish believers and therefore enters in the purpose of the law in verse 20. So we see that in verse 20, Paul gives the correct view of the law to those who thought that maybe it was meant to save or to curb our appetite for sin. Before I continue, I want to give a brief definition of what sin is. 
Sin is indeed the breaking of God's law. But to get to the root of what sin truly is, we have to go deeper than the action of breaking a law. We have to go to the root of our desires, of why we desire to break the law. And this is what John Piper says about sin. He says, sinning is any feeling, thought, speech, or action that comes from a heart that does not treasure God over all things. In other words, it is the desire to be our own Lord and Savior. It is the desire to choose for ourselves what is good and what is evil in our own eyes, much like Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. And this is the root of all of our sinning. And and back then, Jewish thought would have said that the law was given to attack humans' impulse to sin. There was a, an idiom or a phrase back then that they would say, and they would say, the more Torah or the more law, the more life. And so they had, a, they had a distorted view of what the law was meant to do. But we know from verse 20 that the law does not curb or attack our appetite for sin. Two weeks ago, we heard of our total depravity and how we love sin and walk in it and drink it down like it was water on a hot Houston summer day. The lost purpose, Paul says, was not to change the situation created by Adam, but to make it worse or intensify the sin and the seriousness of it. And Paul uses the word trespass to allude to Adam's original sin. So we could say in a sense that when the law came in and we break God's explicit law and written command, we in a sense become our own little Adam, breaking an explicit law or command that God had given. The law then has this function of of radicalizing the, the crisis of human experience. In other words, it made sin even more sinful before us. And Paul in Romans 7, 13 says, did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good. In order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. So much like how the weight of my crime when I was in that drunk driving car accident, me being the drunk driver, much like when the police officer laid before me what the law of Texas, the state of Texas required, so when the law of God, the Ten Commandments, are laid before us, they show us just how much of a criminal we truly are. No one here and no one on this earth can say that they haven't broken every single commandment. Some of you here may say, well, I'm not, I'm not even married yet. I haven't committed adultery. I've never murdered anyone. Let me remind you that Jesus' words were, if you looked with lust, you're guilty of adultery in the heart. And elsewhere, John in his first epistle, says that if you have hatred towards your brother, that's considered murder. 
So if you've ever had hatred well up in your heart towards another before God and before his law, in the heart, you're guilty of murder. None of us can say and claim innocence before the law. And it's not just that we've broken these laws at some point in our life. It's that daily we break God's law because it is the state of of our heart apart from grace. And even after becoming a believer, we still struggle with this indwelling sin that we battle on a daily basis. And this is why we desperately need grace, brothers and sisters. This is why we desperately need grace or undeserved favor. We could never earn our own salvation because we've already established that we're born sinners and that we keep on sinning after that. Just like a leopard, just like a leopard can't change its spots, we can't wash away the stains of sin in our soul. We need grace to save us from our sin, and we need grace to save us from the judgment that our sin requires. Not only that, but law also amplified the sin. We all love, as a human race, forbidden fruit, do we not? We naturally want something more when we're told you can't have that, even if it's for a good reason. Add law and it causes us to want to break that law even more. And sin, oftentimes, as we talked about previously, two weeks ago, how Paul personifies sin to, to show its power. It seizes the opportunity. And many times, sin plays hard to get so that we would desire it even more. The law cannot save, but it was meant to show us our sin and be a guardian towards the Savior. And Paul says in Galatians 3 that before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned by it until the coming faith would be revealed. And that the law was our guardian until Christ came. By guardian, I mean teacher, mentor, tutor, leading us to faith in Jesus and this may make some of you here think, well, is, does this mean that the law is, is bad? Is it evil? By no means. The law is perfect and good, and it actually shows us how evil we are. The law of the Lord is perfect, and it revives the soul, as we see in Psalm 19. It revives the conscience of mankind. But where Paul says that sin increased. He then goes on to say that grace abounded all the more. In the very place that sin increased, he says grace abounded all the more. So as the police officer kept telling me what I deserved and what my life would look like and how I could basically give up on the goals that I had to be an architect and to do this and to do that. He then looks at me square in the face and says, but I'm letting you go free. 
And grace, brothers and sisters, looks at you, looks at me, and says, I'm letting you go free. Officer's grace at that moment towards me seemed at that moment much, much greater than the seriousness of the sin I had just committed. It wasn't that the police officer downplayed my sin. No, he went to the extent even to scare me, to show me how serious my sin, my crime against the state of Texas was, only to then after that say, but I'm letting you go free. God's grace is more sufficient to overcome the increase in the power, severity of sin that the, that the law brings. This entire world, brothers and sisters, could never out-sin the abounding grace of God. Why? Why could this entire world never out-sin the abounding grace of God because, brothers and sisters, at the very place where sin increased the most in all of human history, that is the very place where grace superabounded. At the cross, justice and mercy intertwined at the cross, grace and sin met, and grace came out victorious. Grace came out victorious. And it was as if this, this grace was a tidal wave, tidal wave rushing and engulfing everything in its path. Picture a young boy on the shore of a really nice beach and he's paddling, right? And he's creating some ripples and creating small little waves. And then he feels the earth trembling, and he sees a shadow, and so he turns around, and he sees this tidal wave eclipsing the sky, rushing towards the shore, ready to engulf everything in its path. And this is how much more grace abounds over the reign of sin. This superabounding grace not only did it abound where sin increased, but Paul continues on and says that the purpose of it abounding was so that grace would reign. So what, is, what does that mean for grace to reign? We know that in a sense we could say that Jesus is grace, that, that grace is a person. Maybe you've heard it before. Grace is a person and it's Jesus. But this is not necessarily what Paul is saying here. If you remember back two weeks ago when we talked about sin being personified by Paul, he's doing the same thing with grace here. He's personifying grace because he has no other way to describe the power that this grace now has in our life. And so he, he says that grace reigns over us. Paul often thinks in terms of, of spheres or dominions and, and kingdoms when he writes his letters, and he's doing the same thing here. Reigning fits perfectly with this train of thought, and the kingdom of sin and of death rules over those in Adam, and, and the kingdom, in this kingdom, sin is in control. 
But those who receive the free gift of grace are transferred from that kingdom into the kingdom of grace and righteousness. And now that righteousness rules over those who have received the gift of grace. So to have grace reigning or ruling over us means that this kingdom we are now part of functions and operates solely through the undeserved favor of God. Nothing in the economy of this kingdom of grace is earned by us. It is all gifted. It is all given freely by God to us. This is what it means for grace to be reigning over us. But he goes further. As he, not, he says that grace reigns through righteousness. Grace reigns through righteousness. What is righteousness and whose righteousness is he talking about? Righteousness is, you could say, moral perfection, uprightness, everything that is right. And he's talking about the righteousness of Jesus, the righteousness of Christ, his perfect record of obedience to the law lived out by him when he was on this earth. And in Romans 3, Paul writes that the righteousness of God has now been manifested through faith in Jesus apart from the law. And he goes on to say that this is all a grace. This is all a gift given by God through faith. We are brought into a right relationship with God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And this righteousness, this perfect record of obedience to the law of God that Jesus earned is now credited to us. It's credited into our account by faith. And this grace that that brought us into a right relationship with God through Jesus' righteousness also intends to rule over us, reign over us through Jesus' righteousness. This means that grace intends for us today to walk in light of that reality, that God has credited to us the perfection of Jesus into our account, that his righteousness should now invade our daily life and empower us for obedience to Jesus. Since we are now in the kingdom of grace and righteousness, we're no longer in the kingdom of sin and death. We no longer have to obey that master. We're under a different master, a better master. Grace does not save us and leave us in our sinful state. If grace has truly taken over your life, if grace is reigning over your life, then you will see the evidence of that through a transformed life. It doesn't mean that you're perfect, and I'm not advocating for perfectionism, but it does mean that in the very core of your being, who you are and your desires, your will, your motivations have now been transformed by the Spirit so that now the sin you once loved and drank like it was water, now you hate 
And now you grieve when you sin. And the Jesus you once ignored or even hated, you now treasure and love. And when you don't see that you're treasuring and loving him as you should, the spirit in you now grieves. There's evidence for a transformed life. It's not just mental assent to right theology. How does grace reign in our life today? How does grace reign in our life today? Gives us the power to overcome this sin. Gives us power to overcome sin and leads us into eternal life. Life we can begin to enjoy now, the moment we believe. This abundant life that Christ offers. Because grace is greater than our sin and because grace promises eternal life. This means we have been given access to the power of God through which we kill sin and gain continual and progressive victory over our sin. We no longer have to walk as defeated Christians, but we all struggle. And honestly, I, I struggle to see myself first in light of grace instead of first in light of my sin. And if we're honest, I'm not alone. A lot of us here struggle with that as well. And we do talk about what we hope to see in the life of our church here at Sojourn Heights and and how we desire to live life on life and in community. And we, we paint this beautiful picture this romantic idea of living life on life, but in the, in the inner workings of our daily life, we know that we feel like we're far from reaching the place that we should be at. And, and grace reigning over us through the righteousness of Jesus means that we, have, we can have grace on ourselves and we can have grace on each other. And we could continue to see and encourage one another so that grace is cultivated in each other's hearts. And it means that if someone offends me in my parish deeply, grace reigning over my heart now means that I can look at that person and respond with grace instead of responding with anger. Because we are under a new kingdom the kingdom of grace and righteousness. We fail often, but grace reigning through Jesus, his righteousness means I don't have to give up. We don't have to give up because the power that's necessary to overcome our sin has been promised to us through Jesus and by his spirit been promised to us because Christ overcame for us. He defeated sin and death on the cross. He put our enemy and his enemy under his feet. And not only that, but he promised eternal life to all who believe. What does that mean? How does promise the promise of eternal life in the future 
affect me today? It means that I can view my life, we can view our life in light of eternity, knowing that it is grace that carries us. It is grace that transferred over each one of us into its kingdom, right, of grace and righteousness. It is grace that carries us. It is grace that equips us. It is grace that strengthens us. And ultimately, it is grace that will carry us home. So we can trust that this grace of God will lead us and guide us to our eternal home. And that future grace and the present grace that we know God has promised us in Christ can empower us to live according to our identity as citizens of the kingdom of grace and righteousness. You can walk in assurance of eternal life and trust that the future promises of God, he will keep. And as we continue to trust those future promises by the spirit, we're empowered with the ability to walk in victory over our sin today. But maybe, maybe some of you are on the opposite side of the spectrum. We talked about being being prone to look at our sin first instead of grace. Maybe some of you here hear this message of the superabounding grace of God and think, oh, well, that means I could do whatever I want and, and sin so that grace may abound, right? Paul, once again, being the great apologetic thinker, and I won't get into Romans 6, but I'll, I'll summarize what he said by verse 14 and reading it for you. He sums it up by saying in verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. It says, shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? I like the King James Version. It says, God forbid. The gift is too great. After the police officer told me to call my stepdad and told me to, to tell him to come pick me up, I was still dumbfounded and surprised and amazed that this police officer was letting me go free. He did give me a traffic citation. But brothers and sisters, grace when it tells us you're free, there's no strings attached. There's no certain amount of sins that you have to pay for because Christ has paid it all on the cross. And when he says you're free, you are free indeed. And the next several months after that car wreck, my entire life was shaken. How could I go back to doing what I had just done when this police officer had so much grace on me? The reality is that I was scared for five months or so, and then I went back to doing the same thing that I was doing before. And no amount of 
of grace and forgiveness from one human being to another has the power to change our desires, has the power to change our hearts. But thanks be to God that when God showers us with his grace, that grace has the ability to transform our hearts, to transfer us into this new kingdom of grace and righteousness. Sin indeed is a powerful force. It is a powerful tribal leader. But grace is like the emperor that comes in and takes over that dominion. This means that because grace is greater than our sin, we no longer have to live under sin's power today. The abundant grace that Christ gives us, empowers us to overcome our sin. Let's pray. Father, let the truth of your word by the power of your spirit God, change us, convict us, encourage us where we need encouragement. Let your word produce in us fruit that we would walk as citizens of this new kingdom, ruled by grace and righteousness. We would walk according to who we are. We would simply be who we already are. In Jesus' name, amen.